you wanted the best, but you're shit out of luck. Welcome to the KISS FAQ Podcast. We're here to waste some of your time and hopefully entertain you for a little bit. So thank you for letting us into your head. Hope we don't do any damage. Welcome to episode one of the KISS FAQ Podcast. Um, thank you for spending time with us today. Uh, I'd like to introduce you to our panel. From Sweden, we have Daniel Westman. And from Florida, Nigel. Hello. Daniel, why don't you tell us about yourself? Well, hello. My name is Daniel. I'm from Sweden, actually the north of Sweden, Lapland, if you've heard of it. I uh, became a KISS fan back in 1985. We were in a tent, and a guy played Heavens on Fire for me, and things have never been the same since then. Uh, and my first album was Animal Eyes and Asylum. I got them at the same time. Uh, my favorite KISS album, you know, this is hard, it's, uh, but I guess I would say Creatures of the Night or Dressed to Kill. And my favorite member is, without a doubt, Paul Stanley. Um, my name's Nigel. I'm from Florida, Fort Myers area. I got into KISS when I was about 12 years old uh, through KISS Meets the Phantom. My dad had it recorded on uh, VHS, and he pulled it out one day, and uh, I took a look at it. And it was I loved it because I loved the X-Men, and I loved... Uh, you know, superheroes and the Beatles, and I, I, the first, you know, opening to Phantom of the Park was uh, where I became a fan. I was like, this is everything I like all combined into one. And so from there, I uh, started looking at the music and everything, and the first album I got, I think, was uh, You Wanted the Best, which is an odd first pick, but it was new at the time, and I got that, and uh, my first legitimate album that came out when it was new was Psycho Circus. And I have an affinity towards that, and a lot of people hate it, but I like it. Probably half nostalgia value, but uh, I still think the songs are good. I think a lot of them are. What uh, drags it down is just probably the drama that happened behind the scenes um, with Peter Nace and all that session player stuff. But not knowing that, you know, I I would say outside of two or three songs, that's that's a great album. Who's your favorite member? Uh, definitely Gene. You know, it's stereotyped to say, but. You know, his backstory and everything, where he came from, and uh, his fascination of horror, old movies, the Beatles, you know, everything combined into one, you know, so. And every time I've ever met him, he's been more, the nicest member I've ever met every single time. So that only adds to him in my book. Absolutely. Well, as you guys know, I'm admin. Well, actually, my <laughs> name's Julian Kill, um, and the Kiss FAQ is all my fault. I became a fan in, what was it, December 85, just turning 14, with Asylum and the three videos from the album on MTV. They just caught my interest at a time, along with Motley Cruz. and on my birthday, went down and bought Theater of Pain and Asylum at my local Kmart, so that was my entry into the KISS world, even though I was slightly aware of them before that. My favorite KISS mm-hmm. album, I'm going to cop out, Alive. You get the best of the be- best of the first three albums in one shot. Studio album. If it's a studio album, you know, I'll take rock and roll over. Love the production. Love the material. It's the one, and there's a thread right now on the, on the board about Eddie Kramer and his production, is the one that I think mm-hmm. best captures the band's sound of all the original six studio albums. Yeah, so, I forgot to mention my favorite one. I can't choose. It's just, there's just so much. There's so much. There's so many high points, um, and they're all different. So, and, you know, you have a new favorite every week. You know, whatever you're in the mood for. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, depends on your mood. Yep. 
And as for my favorite band member, it was always Paul Stanley. Always saw him as the heart and soul of the band, mm -hmm. even if, uh, you know, Gene was the face. So Paul Stanley, you know, he, he's the man. Kept the band going all those mm -hmm. years. I have a great deal of respect for him. So let's go straight into our topic. The way we're going to do this podcast, everyone, is we're just going to pick, you know, basically one topic to chat about and see where we go with that. So first topic up for discussion is uh, which album in the catalog do you think should be the next deluxe treatment and what would you like to see with it um, and how do you like to see it done? So, Daniel. Take us away. Uh, when it comes to a deluxe treatment, I liked the way they did it on Love Gun, that they tried to incorporate a lot of different stuff, you know, like the song Love Gun that Paul showed how to do it and, and such. But the main thing is, if you could somehow get new unreleased songs in good quality, that's what you should be doing. And I remember reading way back when I was just a kid about uh, revenge, and I always loved the sound on that record. I'm not, I'm not necessarily loving all the songs. I like the first one, Unholy, but the rest, I don't know. But the sound is so great, and Bruce Kulick, he always talked about that track he had somewhere. I don't think they had vocals on it. Uh, I would like to hear more from that record because um, I like the sound of it, I like the attitude, Unfortunately, unfortunately, they didn't manage to, to do a lot of great songs to me. Uh, Unholy is just great on record, terrible mm -hmm. live, of course. <laughs> they have never been able to perform it live. Domino, kind of cool, live, doesn't do anything for me. So uh, that's kind of a strange album. In, in Sweden, over here, they managed to make the press believe that it was their comeback album in every sense of the world in every sense of the word. It was uh, better sounding, there were better songs, and people actually incorporated KISS information into their reviews. So it got great reviews over here, but I guess it didn't do too well. But uh, uh, I would like to see whatever they have from the Revenge sessions. That would be great to see. I think that uh, the look of the Revenge era really combines with the the production and the like the, there's there's a few clunkers on that album but you look at the image their re you know vision of what they of what the band was and after all those years you know of trend hopping and uh you know trying to find their way and looking ridiculous yeah. sometimes it was like okay this is non-makeup kiss this captures what they were going for in the 70s just you know in the 90s and you know people like oh that's you know what they looked like no that was just as much a costume as you know, anything that they wore in the 80s. It was just, it looked more like what Kiss was supposed to be without the makeup instead of trying to follow all the trends. Yeah. So, so great album, a deluxe, Great album. Yeah, a de a deluxe, deluxe album of Revenge with some new songs, uh, great sounding demos. You've all heard the demos with different lyrics and so on. And mm -hmm. I like that they really tried to make it a dark album. I don't know if they managed to reach the heights of darkness, like they, like creatures, like creatures where, where they had a lot of kind of dark songs, but, but, you know, they spit, for example, they tried to have dark titles. It's, it's pretty, it's kind of, that song should be called spit, uh, but, but mm -hmm. they tried, it was like they were looking for, where do we have a dark or 
dirty word that we could use. And then they picked that one. That's the title. So they really went for it. Um, but I guess it was in the time of, you know, Metallica making it big with mm-hmm. the Black Album. And Gene Simmons almost became sort of a James Hetfield you know, look-alike almost, but 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 it was a great look for him. Uh, it was the best since '82, without a doubt. How did you feel when he uh, did that Monsters of Rock, whatever that was, like a couple of years ago? He tried to bring that look back. You know, that was a sh- I, that's something I never expected to see uh, ever. But but I think it was bossy, and I I have to admit I kind of liked it. And when watching him on stage with those, uh, I think there were some guys from like the bassists from Guns N' Roses or, uh, well, a few other guys, Sebastian Bach uh, and some other guys. But when you watched them live, I was actually surprised. I think Gene was the best one mm-hmm. live. And I've always liked the, the the way Sebastian works, his audience. But but I think it looked great. He, he, of course, he was kind of fat. But that was the first time I understood that he was wearing a wig during the mm-hmm. Revenge Tour, wasn't he? Mm-hmm. During Revenge? I don't no, but, know. If but but if, if you look at the hair uh, on that South American tour, when was it? Yeah. 2011, 10, something mm-hmm. like that. I don't know. He couldn't come uh, out in his sport coat, you know, his sport no, coat. No, but and if, you look, if you look, look, look at his uh, wig, it's like exactly the same as back mm-hmm. in 92. I kind of. I never thought of whoa. that. I, I always just assumed that was his hair just with extensions or something put in, but it's possible. It really is. I didn't think about that before. So, revenge is it for me. What about you? Um, I'd have to say it's a stock answer, I'm sure, but Hotter Than Hell needs... I mean, hopefully the elements are still there to, to do a proper uh, redo of that album, but if if it exists, it's... Because that, I would say, is the best Kiss album. It just needs a little bit better production. I mean, especially when you compare when you put them on the greatest hits albums and you get to the hotter than hell, it's like, it goes from address to kill to, you know, lick it up production. And then it goes to hotter than hell. It sounds like it was recorded in somebody's garage, you know, and the songs are all there. Well, this is the story of Ace actually building an amp out of a cardboard box back in, in, at the time they were doing Mm -hmm. the album and messing around with that because it sounds like it was recorded Mm -hmm. in a cardboard box. I just, I just pray that they have the original multi-tracks and they converted them to digital because they could run some really cool studio mm-hmm. trickery on those tracks and maybe, who knows, maybe fix Ace's tone a bit because that's where that album just gets killed and it's sound and it's the guitars. I mean, the vocals are great, um, but just the, the sound of the instruments is absolutely, oh, I find it atrocious, but the material you know, kind of lifts it up into the acceptable. Over time, you know, you get used to it, and I can't imagine that album sounding like, you know, Dressed to Kill or anything else, but those songs are so strong. That whole album is so strong. It's just, you know, when Absolutely. you heard um, Coming Home on Unplugged, it was like hearing that song for the first time. It was like, I never even took that song as, it's a, kind of a song you forget about on the album later on, but when you hear it unplugged, it's like, oh, this is really good. You know, and that's definitely the go-to version of uh, that song I listen to, you know. And I just can't imagine, you know, electrically what that would have sounded like if they had a, were able to bring up the quality a little bit on that original album. I don't know. MTV Unplug is the version of that song I listen to. That just oh, yeah. absolutely kills. But then again, just about every song in Unplugged 
is fantastic. So what would you want to see? I mean, I don't think you necessarily want a resurrected version of Pot of the Town. Um, what sort of bonus material would you hope for? Resurrected as in going back in and remixing the album, you mean? or If, if you're leaving it alone and just putting it back out there, remastered, filled with bonus material, what would be the, kind of the key stuff you'd be interested in them adding on to a second disc? Um, well, you know, any demos, anything, even stuff that's out there already, just, just better quality. Um, obviously, I would say if there's not a whole lot of demo stuff floating around for that album, one of those shows from, you know, 70, 74, you know, even some of those things that have just leaked, although they might, that might be put on the deluxe for the first album. Uh, what was that Amityville show? You know, that's just amazing. And, uh, I mean, I would love an a edition that had a DVD with it, you know, even if it was Winterland or if it, even if it was something, you know, that we already have just put together in a hotter-than-hell package. I would definitely And there's demos. I mean, uh, Jeff and Kurt wrote about some of them. Demos of Mainline, Parasite All the Way, and Who's Your Baby? Obviously got to choose. Well, then that, definitely. Yeah, and, and who, who knows what other songs, maybe, because obviously there's other stuff in the vaults that we may not necessarily know about. And, I mean, I think everyone wants to hear Peter Chris's seven-minute drum solo, right? If it still exists, if it's still out there. I mean, throw it on. <laughs> I'm not a Peter Chris guy, you know. I went, um, or not me, but like 50% of the audience back at the, when they did the reunion tour back in Sweden, uh, I was attending two concerts, 35,000 a night. It was great. But when Peter Chris did his solo, it was like, Half the audience went to pee. I don't know. What year was that? What tour? 97. Oh, okay. Okay. I would say out of all those, he definitely had the most fan uh, audience interaction because that thing on uh, Second Coming when uh, Gene was te well, you know, Gene was teaching him how to do that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I don't think he did that. Uh, I don't think he elaborated that that production he was doing as much on the later tours at least i don't remember it but well to me as a somewhat of a drummer uh, i was crushed when they well first you heard the live three and you you saw the concerts from japan and australia in 95 everything killing it and then my first chance of seeing the band was in 97 and peter chris playing deuce is not i, I should say peter chris the, the second version of Peter Chris playing Deuce was nowhere near how it sounded with Eric Singer or the young Peter Chris. So mm -hmm. I remember being kind of disappointed in the way they sounded, but it was a great show, you know. I'm biased because just, you know, I was, you know, about 12, 13, 11, 12 when the, the reunion happened. And so anything was kissed to me. You know, now I can kind of look back and see, you know, Peter didn't play the same as he played in the 70s, and Eric Singer is a more technical guy. But, you know, when I watch it, it's just all, it's all kiss. You know, it's all... I don't know. Does, does it matter the technicality for a band like Kiss, how technical their drummer is? And I want to kind of draw a comparison between Kiss and ACDC, that ACDC's number one drummer obviously was Phil Rudd with a very basic kind of drumming approach and then they had Simon Wright and uh, God who was the other guy 
the razor's edge. So uh, Chris Slade, finally get there. You know, highly technical drummer Chris Slade, and they bring Rudd back in '95, and they're like, you know, we missed him. You know, these other guys were great, and they could do everything that you wanted, but we just wanted that basic beat. And I kind of think of Peter like that. He's not a tremendously technical drummer. He's no Neil Peart. Um, but he's got some nuances in his drumming. You know, everyone says things like jazz influence, but I don't know enough about jazz to even know if that's legit. Um, but mm -hmm. he's definitely got influences being older from a different era than, say, the Eric Cars and the Eric Singers. And that flavor. You listen to uh, Sing Sing, Sing Sing with a Swing, the. Uh... Gene Krupa song from the late 30s, he has a little drum solo in there, and that sounds, to me, a lot like Peter's uh, solo on Alive. If you pull that song up, uh, there's a little drum break in, in it, and that's, you know, that's where he came from. So I can see that perspective, that big band swing feel um, in some of the stuff, and definitely his solos, but as far as the drumming in the songs are considered, I, I wouldn't hear any real big band swing in it. Yeah, there's some little elements in the fills. Yeah. To me, there's a difference here. Uh, when I when, uh, became really interested in Kiss, uh, I started over. I started in the mid '80s, but it wasn't until the late or early '90s that I actually was old enough to understand, you know, technicalities like how to make a certain drum pattern and so on. And then I remember listening to Live Three, uh, and this you have to remember this was at a time when people almost ridiculed you for being a Kiss fan, as they had been doing for quite a while. Uh, and we were seen as dinosaurs. And well, your band you you don't you don't sound like Soundgarden. Alice in Chains is much better than your band. Uh, but then Eric Singer kind of. He kind of updated the sound. I like that, that that he managed to bring the old songs into a new era somewhat. And that's what I mean with his playing on Juice and um, uh, what other songs did he... Well, when he played Parasite, I'd never really liked mm -hmm. that one. You know, you know, he kind of updated them. And at that time, it was much needed because... That was what you needed, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Well, if you watch so, uh, the uh, on the Arsenio uh, Hall I mean, show, with kind of, if oh, you watch oh, uh, the Arsenio oh, Hall that's performance, one of my absolute favorite performances. that's yeah, to yeah. me just would, as good just, as yeah. as uh, you know anything from the '70s, just performance-wise. You know, you know, Eric. Some people say that Eric Singer overplays the songs, but. Yeah, you know, that was what the time called for, and uh, now he plays, I don't know, I feel like he plays now with a balance of the two. I feel like he adds his own personality into the songs, but he plays them pretty uh, legitimately to the originals as well. I feel like it's a, a healthy balance, whereas in the 90s, I think he was trying to, to overplay to match the style of that time period. So. Yeah, I, I guess that's the whole point but at the time in the 90s I wanted him to play like that because uh, it felt like we were you know uh, at the same level as the popular band somehow somehow mm -hmm. if he would have played the songs like Peter Chris back then I, I don't think it would have worked now we are all into this classic rock you know 
people uh, tend to look at old rock bands as kind of with a lot of nostalgia and people don't want them to try to sound like anything else than they were from the beginning so for him to play like that now I'm, I'm not sure it would work as well as it did in the 90s no he modernized the sound in the 90s and he, he kept or the band kept the songs pretty much the same as they had been in the 70s just with new new flavor new seasoning in the 80s, the band had changed the songs to try and stick with those times with faster musicians, uh, so the tempo went up, and it completely mm -hmm. changed the character of the songs. In the 90s, you still have the character, but you've made it a little darker, um, a little bit more injected with attitude that went with the revenge kind of feel that they kept. I mean, revenge stuck around basically 92 to 95 in terms of image, so... That's where he really went with that. Now I feel like he's a neutered kitty cat. He, you know, he, he's kind of he. You feel the limits that he's not doing a fill. He's not doing something safe. here. He's staying. He's keeping mm -hmm. kits nice and safe, and maybe presenting it how people expect to remember it. Thing, as we get more and more, I guess people just coming up with the, the thing legacy. Another thing about that is. Uh, I don't know if you saw that uh, or listened to that interview that one of the podcasts did with him. It was a great interview. He was very open, and he talked about uh, nowadays he sings on every song. He sees, sings backups on every song, so then he can't play the same way. I'm not sure if that is all of the truth, but it might be have, have something to do with the way he's playing nowadays. Uh, uh, I'm sure he's able to play it like he did back in the 90s, but I guess when he, he's singing and people want to hear the, the classic sound, there's really no reason for him to, to play do the way I would like him to play it. Yeah, he, he's critical now in the background, you know, the vocals. That is so Oh, yeah, with, especially with the Paul issues, you know, he carries a lot of those. I mean, what, what, he started doing that around the, what was it, uh, Unplugged, when he really saying nothing to lose that was the first time that he realized i guess he could do a lead by himself um he didn't sing any lead vocals in the revenge tour i don't think but um yeah he said on that unplugged he was just as shocked as anybody that he could get a chance to sing and do nothing to lose and that's when i think they really realized what a strong uh singer eric was and i mean you even go towards later on when uh, monster came out and like i that's one of my favorite songs on monster is uh, all for the love of rock and roll because he kills that song. i mean paul could have done his own version of it but i think the eric vocal really because i feel like if paul had done that song i feel like it would have gotten meshed in with all the rest of paul's songs on the album but it really separates it and that makes it an eric song and i one of my favorites on that, so maybe we'll get a paul version on the deluxe edition of monster yeah, have you actually said, you, <laughs> have you presented your deluxe version? You haven't said anything about that. No, I haven't, not yet. Maybe you just talked about a lot of other stuff, yeah. You know, we, we've gone off into a tangent into revenge, so, you know, tying back to yours. So here, here, here we've had two. We've had uh, Revenge and Hotter Than Hell. I'd say those are two very similar albums um, in kind of where they fit in the catalog. They're, they're kind of structurally tough albums. A little bit more aggressive. The, the one thing I wanted to go back to Hotter Than Hell with is what other stuff is in the vaults? And maybe people out there have some idea 
Um, you know, I've listed the stuff that's been publicized, but is there, you know, a demo of Hotter Than Hell? What's always bothered me with that album is the early Circus magazine um, suggestion that the album was going to be called The Harder They Come until another act released that. If you put The Harder They Come kind of structurally on top of Hotter Than Hell, was that song originally called The Harder They Come and Paul rewrote it as Hotter Than Hell? That's the only thing I really ponder with that album. I'd love to hear a lot more of the studio work on you know, that. It's hard, it's hard to, to really say what I would want because I don't really know, you know, what's out there that's not already been accounted for, you know, or what still exists or what, you know, is in a vault. What but the, what about the you don't really know. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm with sure Rick, there's people out there I mean, that know like, a lot more than I do about what's on release and what's available that isn't being circulated but but, but is, it a is there a possibility that you know the version you liked phantom of the park so you should want rip 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 and destroy <laughs> that one <laughs> That's a yeah well one. you're right you know where where is that i would love to hear yeah. the yeah yeah it, definitely it's nowhere to be found in its uh, in its entirety you know mm -hmm. i haven't heard it so, Nigel, if you got into Kiss because of uh, Kiss Me, the Phantom, you must have been in for a rude shock when you heard Peter's real voice. Oh, I, I didn't even, honestly, it's something I didn't even know about until I think I read it in a, one of the books. Because, uh, you know, those are things I didn't really put two and two together. You know, someone's singing voice could be different than the voice that they, they use when they speak. So I didn't really think about it. Also, I can't remember where I found out about that for the first time. I, might, I probably show. was... Um, Extreme close-up, I think, is when they mention that. But there is a, a video on YouTube of um, Kiss Meets the Phantom NBC commercial, and uh, they use a clip where Peter's using his real voice. I thought that was cool. When he says, uh, Apes is more like it. Oh. It was Peter's actual voice. And I think that's still on YouTube, but it makes you wonder if that audio is still existing somewhere. But his accent was so thick or... He mumbled or didn't didn't speak clearly, so they had to. They always say he never showed up to do the looping, but I always just wonder if his accent was too thick that nobody could understand what he was saying. So it might be a combination of the two. But Aquaman is his voice. The Super Friends, another, Aquaman. Another shock must have been that Ace really isn't a black guy. <laughs> the stunt <laughs> double. Yeah. Did anyone ever track him down? To him. <laughs> I don't know. Didn't someone say they had? But then I heard something else that said he'd passed away or something. I, you hear all sorts of stories from all different angles. You know, it's easy It's easy to say that you know him or can get in touch with him or that he's hiding out in mom's attic, you know. <laughs> <laughs> say he's with Vinny somewhere. All these people you okay. want to interview, but you can't figure out where they are. Yeah, I, I, I think we'll have this as a Vinny-free episode. Even though we've uh, had picked uh, Revenge as a uh, as one of the albums that we'd like to see worked on. All right, my album. Um, I would really love a um, deluxe edition of Rock and Roll Over, and it, it's not because just because it's one of my favorite albums. It's the material that ties in with that album. Is there a version of Paul doing Hard Luck Woman back there? A demo. Um, instead of Peter, you know. Obviously, we know from uh, uh, one of the other podcasts, uh, Three Sides, that there's a, a real 
of material from that album with Gene doing Baby Driver, which would be awesome to hear. But there's also uh, Gene and Joe Perry doing Mongoloid Man, mm-hmm. uh, which I've, I've not heard. Um, obviously, I would love to. So, you know, there's that. There's Queen for a Day. You know, that falls in, I think, under or in between Destroyer and Rock and Roll Over. So if it's unfinished, you know... Who cares? And want, who cares? <laughs> yeah. you know, put it up there or finish it, mm-hmm. you know? Um, do something with it. Get it out there. There's all... there's. I mean, all of Gene's demos from that period, stuff like Rotten to the Core, I mean, it can all fall under 75 through 77. There's so many different versions of him doing, like, Howling for Your Love or... I don't want no romance. All the stuff that became um, sweet pain. So there's a there's a ton of bonus material that could go onto a rock and roll over album with it being 1976, and that's kind of the height of the band for me. Um, right through that that those final shows in Japan in in early 77. That's the end kind of of the classic period. So for me, it's really representative of the band at their height before they went into kind of the Love Gun Alive 2 era, which is, you see the increase in kids, kind of the, the more cartoonish uh, representation of the band for me. Also, bonus material is obviously de- um, the recordings that uh, were done as the band rehearsed for the tour. So with that, Hard Luck Woman obviously being performed live electrically would be awesome. Um, and certainly, I don't think any worse quality than the dreadful interview or teaching demo used on Love Gun Deluxe. True. Um, Love them, leave them. Apparently performed early on in the tour. Therefore, it must have been rehearsed. You know, what else? You know, all of those songs from the album that they rehearsed would, you know, just kill. And I don't know about video. Um, that's just not my, kind of my, my forte. Is there a show that they could, you know, bundle with it? Always thought they should have bundled a show with Love Gun Deluxe, Mm -hmm. the DVD, um, rather than having, what was it, four versions of Love Gun in one package. I think they really could have, you know. Well, that's what I was getting at. That's what I was thinking about, too, is just, I mean, I feel like they're not going to do too many more of these deluxe editions just because when they come out, there's already so much stuff that the fans already have. There's always one or two things that you want that make you buy it. But, you know, it was hard to find. You have to get it online. You can't go into a store and get it. So how many, how many sales, like, can this, these deluxe editions be getting? Because the casual fan is not picking these up. Because they can't no, find No, Love Gun Deluxe sold 4,000 copies its first mm-hmm. week. So that, that's hardly going to motivate a label, you know, that there's an economic, um, you know, benefit to releasing it or the effort that goes in you know there's a lot of work that goes into putting the booklet together the stories get, uh, researching the photos for the package the obviously the rights for any material um even if universal owns it under the contract or however any of that legal side of stuff works you know there's there is effort um and while it's easy to criticize the one that they've done as obviously i have criticized it um I do respect and acknowledge that there's a lot of effort by people to bring these products. They gotta, they gotta pick more wisely. Um, if they're gonna do albums, they gotta be core albums that are really gonna appeal and get the material on there 
that hopefully we haven't heard. And I hadn't heard both of those Gene songs in that format on Love Gun. Um, so there's a lot out there. I mean, do Creatures. Come mm-hmm. on. You know, that's, that's another probably a major album, but who's out there to buy it again? You know, what are they going to put on it to entice you? You know, demos of Nowhere to Run, maybe. The, the, uh, Vin, back on the, the Vinnie Vincent cover. <laughs> yeah, the uh, long they lost. All, they all, yeah, they have tried that one a, lot, a few times to, to release it. Remember that picture they used back in 85 with Bruce on the cover. The ass shot on the back. <laughs> well, it's funny because, you know, no matter what cover has been released, it's never the person that's actually playing on the record. There's been two covers that have been put out. Bruce is on one and Ace is on the other, and neither of them really had anything to do with it. So. Yeah, but, but uh, I just read uh, on Kiss Fact they discussed whose ass is on the back. Of oh, yeah. Tonight. I think they thought it was Gene Simmons. Nothing like. Stuff. I always thought it was Gene. Actually, I try. I try. To be honest, I tried not to look at the back cover. I wasn't sure who it was. You know, and, and I really found it rather distracting. But maybe it was Paul. He likes to have parts of his body to have pictures taken of. You know, going to the elder's hand. Maybe he wanted his butt on an album cover. Nothing like three guys sitting yeah. around talking about who's whose ass is on the back <laughs> of an album. <laughs> it's probably not yeah. a woman. We're straying away some. <laughs> yeah, oh, but boy. what you said about releasing releasing deluxe versions, and you talked about video, should they release video as well? If they don't put up any money and buy stuff from TV station, there won't be anything new to us, the, the fans, of case. I mean, they have to be, you know, every TV station at the time, if, if we talk about in the early 80s, the Creatures Tour, for example, they could shoot like one or two songs in the beginning. And there are some stuff that has leaked on the internet. You can see snippets of it in uh, in videos from, uh, well, on YouTube as well, but not in perfect mint condition. So if they could actually pay some TV network and buy the first two songs from a few tours, it would be great to see. To me, I would like that a lot. I mean, just the snippets from the Creatures of the Night era. They they have one camera in the pit, but it looks kind of cool. Anyway, I would love to see that. Just put together a few, you know. Footage from Creatures would make yeah. most diehard fans yeah. pass out and joy. <laughs> you know, they'd be yeah. just. I think we'd go nuts for that sort of thing. You know, that's one of the holy grails. Is just to see some really good footage from that tour. Well, my question is, uh, do they, do they, all right, let's say the TV stations still have this footage. Gene and Paul don't want to pay. They, they, they want it, you know, for free or they want it, you know, Gene wants to give you a gold album that he'll sign or whatever, like on that uh, Toy Hunter show. I mean, I don't know how they deal with the negotiations for that with the studios. I know when it comes to fans that have material, you know, uh, well, you know, we'll accept it for free, you know, or we'll, we'll give you a meet and greet, but I don't think they want to pay for their own footage or their own material that is owned by somebody else, which is why the, what was it, the Midnight Special footage on Kissology is not the greatest, because they didn't want to... Yeah, and, and if, you're, if you're only going to sell 4,000 copies, why would you pay for mm-hmm. the footage? You know, they, they've got to either own it outright 
be able to, you know, make some sort of arrangement because, I mean, Destroyer Resurrected, come on, that was a completely different thing that had the, uh, well, the, the original solo. Ace solo in uh, Sweet Pain, and it didn't sell more than, I think that was 3000 mm-hmm. or something, or, or maybe it was a bit more, but both well under five-figure first week. What's your second week going to be after a 4,000-week sale? You'll be lucky still to be 1,000. I never 1, found that in a single store. Barnes & Noble, Best Buy, Walmart, Target, never had it. So, I mean, how many – you have to know it's out there, and you have to search for it yourself to pick it up. It's not like something that you can just come across and pick up. And, you know, you know the diehards are going to go find it because they keep up on all this stuff. But, you know, you can't sell that many if you don't put it out there. I mean, they had the Internet commercial, but I don't know. You, you I thought that really bothered me because these are really cool releases, and I thought, well, if they're distributing them like this, you know, it's they're not going to sell because you can't find them and nobody knows about them. Oh, unless you search for them yourself. Hey, so joining late to the party is Alex. Hey, Alex, can you hear us? Hey there. Sorry, hey, Alex. Hey, thanks. Thanks a lot for calling in. Uh, so, so we've got our fourth member of the panel today, and. Introduce yourself with who you are, where you're from, the when you what year you became a fan, your favorite album, your favorite member. Sounds good. Well, my name is Alex. I'm from Washington D.C. originally, but I'm I'm currently attending uh, college at Brigham Young University in Idaho. So I'm actually filming in Rexburg, Idaho, and it's like snowing outside and like 25 degrees out there. It's just a little cold. Um, I see. I, I was kind of brought into that to the Kiss Army, if you will. Uh, my dad was a fan growing up, so I kind of just grew up seeing, pulling out his records off his collection and staring at the album covers as a little kid for the longest, longest time. Um, I think my favorite album, it rotates um, between which ones I like. You know I, mean? uh, I think my favorite album, usually at the moment, I usually kind of stick with The Elder or Carnival of Souls. Um, I like Carnival, so I think part of it has to do with the mysticness behind the album, the mystery, because it was put on the shelf and wasn't out there um, after it was recorded for the longest time. Plus, it's just a little bit different. Um, and, and what's going with my favorite member, I really like Bruce Kulick. Um, one of my favorite Kiss memories is coming home after trick-or-treating when I was six and watching the MTV Unplug in 95 with my dad. And I've had the opportunity to meet Bruce Kulick back in 2008. And... Uh, he was such a gentleman. It was amazing. Bruce is awesome. Mm-hmm. I ran into Bruce at um, a grocery store in California. I was out there on unrelated uh, uh, kiss things, and uh, I went to use the restroom, and I come out of the restroom, and Bruce and his uh, girlfriend, I guess is his wife now, were uh, shopping. And I was like, well, what do I – should I go ask – I already have pictures with him and stuff, and he, he's out doing his own thing. So I just walked by, like, I knew him. I was like, hey, Bruce. He's like, hey. And I just kept walking. <laughs> See, the guy's grocery stop shopping. He doesn't want to be bothered by, you know, a fan. Bruce. Good guy. Yeah, Bruce is a good guy, and he's always been important to the band. But my problem with Bruce was that he w- I didn't like what he did live. I mean, musically, he was great. But, you know, he, he isn't called Bruce for nothing. And actually, Gene and Paul always talks about him like they talk about him like well in back in eighty four eighty five, I guess it was eighty five. He, he didn't move move around that much, but 
if you look at the videos, for example, Animal is Live and uh, the Detroit 92 show, he's actually moving around a lot back in 85, but not that much in 92, so, so it's kind of messed up. He came into his own. Bruce, you know, he came into his own in that respect. He really uh, got the performance angle down after a while. I, I felt, you know, I... I enjoy I enjoy what, but like I said, it's all kissed to me though. You know, Ace acts a certain way, and Vinny acted a certain way, and Bruce acted a certain way, and you know, I, I don't really critique the members like that just because they're all different eras and they all have their own look and their own feel. And uh, like I said, you know, Bruce is more of a technical musician nice and less guy. of a performer, I think. But as far as that's concerned, I feel like he came into his own pretty pretty well later on. All right, Alex. Let's <laughs> let's get it back to you. What is your album, your Kiss catalog album that you would most like them to see a deluxe treatment of, and why? I think a lot of people would love to see a deluxe treatment of like music from the older. But I think for me, I think a great one would be um, if they could get the rights would be Creatures of the Night. I think there um, exist some tracks out there. I don't know. I'm not into the whole inner circle, but I. I'd love to just see maybe some different takes um, since they had such a revolving uh, group of guitarists uh, filling in for Ace because um, he wasn't there. I think there's a lot of alternate takes for the album. I just hope with the project they put a little more effort into it. Um, there's a great band that I like from the 80s. Um, you might know them, Julian, called Big Country. Uh, yeah, a better Scottish fan. Yeah, and they, uh, and they released a, uh, a deluxe edition of The Crossing. Um, I want to say it was like last year, two years ago. And their second disc for the deluxe edition had much more tracks than what was given with the Love Gun release. Um, they had a handful of demos, more demos than the Kiss one, plus some remixes. And so I hope with the next one, um, if Kiss does it, they go through, get some alternate takes. And I've got nothing against the live material, but then don't touch up the live material either. You know, allow it to have the age to it. I don't think any any of us would complain if they had a, a decent version of Rock and Roll Hell Live, even if it wasn't soundboard quality to what we would think of a live quality with the Eddie Kramer fixes to it. Yeah, I think Creatures would make such a, a great deluxe treatment because it's just a, such it's at the time in the band that they're really transitioning. You know, it it's like the end of the originals chapter. It's the beginning of the unknown. Um, you know, I want to hear Back on the Streets so badly, but if they wouldn't put Love Bite and Hooligan on a Love Gun Deluxe treatment, are they going to put a Vinny song, either with Vinny or Paul Stanley singing it on a Creatures? Mm -hmm. You know, it, it's kind of the bigger picture, but could we get a full originals, uh, and that's, I guess, Paul, Gene, Eric, and God knows who on guitar doing it's my life. I would absolutely love oh, yeah. a perfectly clear copy of that. I um, can't believe I was... that that uh, has never made it onto an official album. That's so good. But now I feel like it's going to be compared to the Bon Jovi one. I feel like people are going to think that that Kiss ripped off Bon Jovi. You know, because that, that's that kind is of the a, biggest uh, mistake of the 1980s is Kiss <laughs> not doing anything with it's my life. That mm -hmm. could have been their anthem. What a song yeah. it was. It what, about that, 
but but the other song that I felt they really striked out, not using on a record, was that one for Crazy Crazy Nights with Paul singing his, you know, what a great song with him on vocals. Uh, it's called, it's not Time Traveler, it's the other one. Sword and Stone. Yeah. Oh, I love that. The singing on that demo. Oh my. Someone asked him on the cruise about. Uh, why he hasn't released all those songs yet. And he just said he didn't think uh, that they were up to snuff. He didn't think not everything that he puts together, he wants to be necessarily released if he doesn't like the quality, which makes sense for Paul because he's such a perfectionist. Gene will throw anything out there. Thanks. He doesn't care. But... Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but I also think he talked about many of the songs, wasn't me- they weren't meant to be Kiss songs. He talked about he wrote some of the, that stuff for other I mean, I, I tried. I think he tried to shop around a lot of tunes, and all he got out of that was that uh, song with Desmond Child. What was it? Uh, it was kind of cool. Wasn't Hide Your Heart one of those two? Yeah, yeah. Hide Your Heart was yeah. one. Best Man for You, Time Traveler. Uh, what is it? When Two Hearts Collide. Yeah. And some some of those, I don't think anyone wants to necessarily hear on an official product. You know, that's just publishing material. See if anyone picked them up. And, and at one point, I think it was rumored somewhere so, like, targeted at share, but uh, who knows. Nice to hear them, though. But, you know, but it's, he, he I'd rather come, hear them than not hear them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, think, I think the sad thing yeah, is... But, but he is, did one with Desmond Chai. What one he did with Desmond Chai, what was it called? They took turns singing. Paul proved who, who the master was. You remember that one? It was for some soundtrack for a lousy film. Oh, Shocker. Yeah, yeah that's the one. Kind of cool. I was, I was going to say, I think the uh, the tragedy is that Bruce actually did perform Sword and Stone at a couple solo shows, and there sadly does not exist any good version of those recordings mm. at all. Speaking of that, you hear, uh, he played, like, what was it, an Asylum Melody or, or a medley? Uh, one of his shows, and that was just awesome. Just to hear those songs, even you know without Paul singing, but just to hear those songs live was awesome because where else are you going to hear, you know, all, all yeah, this, night? That's a good video from Australia of Bruce performing with a local band uh, who was out there. I, I think he hooked up with this band to tour Australia. I don't remember the details. And he kills the 80s material. I mean, he, he injects more attitude in it. His playing has developed so much in those years since. I mean, he's more comfortable as himself, it seems, that when he came out and played that stuff, I was just, like, watching the TV, watching the, the DVD and going, wow, you know, what could have been, you know, playing like that? that- I feel he, he's always been a great player. And just as you said, he's found himself, but he's never been, like, someone who can make up for the things Paul is doing right now. I mean, Paul is moving around a, less, a, a lot less. Tom is actually picking up some of that. Bruce would just be standing there. But he's always played great. And he's actually written a few good Kiss songs as well. And I, I remember one interview with him when he, he was kind of kind of mad at Rod, Nev- uh, Rod Nevison because he didn't include Soren Song because Bruce had writing credits on that one. You know, so I guess that gets into, you know, we've had four suggestions for uh, for albums that would make good deluxe treatments. Crazy Nights, I guess, has to be one as well. For for me, that was the album. I remember that one coming out. It was obviously the first album that came out after I became a fan, going down to the store, buying it, putting it in my Walkman, 
and nearly throwing the Walkman away, going, <laughs> what on earth is this rubbish? Throwing up in my mouth. Sonically neutered Kiss after going through the back catalog in a in the period of a year and hearing the best of Kiss, the worst of Kiss, and then those crazy nights. But as a deluxe edition, there is you know Sword and Stone. There's the '87 version of Hide Your Heart. There's uh, oh God, cover, there's though. Bruce's demos. The the original versions. Paul has said how great Crazy Night sounded as a demo. Put it on a deluxe edition, Paul, and let us hear it. You know, we've heard some of the, you know, like My Way. I don't actually ever want to hear that vocal again, but we know there's the mater- that sort of material out there. You know, it, it would make a great package. With Sword and Stone, yeah. That is just, that's another one of the Kiss anthems that, uh, who knows, we can't do anything in hindsight, but it would have been a damn sight better song. Um and a lot of what they released. Bang, 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 it would have been better than Bang Bang You. And they even did Bang Bang You live. What were they thinking? It's just like the most terrible song ever. Uh, I, you know, the cover, it's got to be my favorite 80s cover, though. Crazy Nights cover. I love it. I think it looks cool. And I know they did a fo- somebody did a Photoshop of the first uh, Kiss album, and they Photoshopped it into the Crazy Nights look. That's it's awesome. Weird, no. Oh, I love that. Totally. There's a lot of bad covers from the 80s. We can agree mm-hmm. on that. I don't know. The Asylum one? Hello? Well, that brings me to my question about the uh, deluxe, you know, editions. Now, obviously, for Destroyer Resurrected, they yeah. redid the cover and alternate art. Um, I was kind of hoping that the Love Gun would have an alternate art somewhere. I mean, there's, there's the sketches and things inside, but... I think it would be cool if they do any more of these deluxe editions to make the cover artwork a little different than the regular release. Because not only would that separate it from the original release, but it would also get, you know, fans from a collector's point of view to want to get the new, you know, the new vinyl with the new alternate cover and all that stuff. I, I love the Destroyer resurrected artwork. And that's what they did. It's, it's a shame I mean, they didn't make the back cover match the front the front cover design. You know that that kind of thing bothered me with uh, Destroyer, but you know I wouldn't even call that a deluxe edition. That's just you know, it doesn't mm-hmm. have an, anything to make it deluxe. It's Bob, you know, approaching it with modern technology and trying to fix a few How things. How did you feel uh, about that? What, know, what did you? What's your opinion have. on that whole thing? On on the album uh, or, or cool. tinkering with just it? Just the the sound quality and how it differs from the original. Well, we're listening to the original for so many decades now. Um, it 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 felt different, so it it didn't really fit into my listening habits. I listened to it a few times when it came out, and I doubt I'll ever listen to it again. You know, with the Sweet Pain solo that so much has been made a big deal about with Ace, you hear it once and you're mm-hmm. like, "That's it." Mm-hmm. Well, no wonder they replaced it. You know, it it was nothing spectacular. I thought it was perfectly fine, adequate as a solo. But, uh, you know, there's just nothing to keep me coming back to Destroyer Resurrected. Um, you know, Bob did his thing. He He's a wizard. We get to hear some elements throughout the album that we didn't necessarily hear with the original mix. Mm-hmm. The drums sounded fantastic, I thought. But I want to hear the original version because that's 1976. That's everything that they had technology-wise. Um, that was what they wanted 
in terms of the band saying, you know, oh, I like that sound, or Bob in 1976, you know, uh, you know, during his heyday, saying, oh, that's what I want, that's what I can do. Um, but as, you know, one of the engineers, I think it was Corky, said to me in an interview, put on a pair of headphones and listen to the original Destroyer. Make sure it's with headphones so that you get the full mm-hmm. binaural microphone effect. Then you'll really hear some of the elements in that um, 76 version, which are a bit more apparent on Resurrected. The that's the way to listen on, uh, to it. Resurrected that I thought was great with the. Now, I never really researched it. Were those guitars, or were those. Was that acoustic guitar uh, in the original mix, just real low? Or is that something that they recorded recently to, to place over it? That was originally there. That oh, is okay. uh, Dick Wagner. Okay. I mean, I think that's the definitive Beth, in my opinion. I loved, I loved the combination of the two. Yeah, you, you really get to hear him. He's doubling the piano chords on the guitar, and it only really comes through in Resurrected. Can you hear that at all? In the, so, I've never heard acoustic in the original at all, ever. Uh, when, when, you think, when you think you're hearing something, you usually hear what you think you want to hear. So mm-hmm. kind of tough to tell now. True. Something completely different. I just have to hear what you guys have to say about this. Uh, I guess it's a week ago now when Paul Stanley joined the Foo Fighters on stage. Can we talk briefly about that one? Because I'm really into that one. It was yeah. cool. Yeah. Absolutely. When I saw that, it really struck me that uh, Paul is a rock star. And even though Foo Fighters are at their height of success, there's really no comparison with Paul Stanley, even though he's, he's singing at, I don't know, 75% of, or even if it's that, of his capability. But the way he moves, the way he has found a way of expressing himself without doing the splits, without doing the big moves, without doing his little, you know, that dance with the feet, he's still bringing it. And I really like what he did there, without any makeup, without explosions, it, it just showed what a true rock star he is and he has always been. And no matter, he's coming across, if you look at Twitter and such, he's kind of bitter and he, he I, don't, I don't know if I like his personality as I did back in the day, but he's still a pretty good performer. What do you say? Nice to hear. Him walking on stage was like, you know, it was like rock god, like Roger Daltrey coming on stage with a bar band. You know, he's Paul Stanley. And obviously, Dave Grohl and those guys are a big band. Um, They've got a good catalog. They've got, you know, stature in the industry. That's Paul Stanley coming on stage with you. You know, and I thought, you know, as much as you can get out of a YouTube clip uh, and we we mock it online, I thought he sounded great. You know, that, that, if nothing else, he was able to come out there and just be Paul Stanley. His voice was great. It was powerful. Um, obviously, it's not 1985, but he sounded great. They performed well, and they did two kick-ass songs. It's good so. to hear those songs in the uh, original key, too. I've missed that without the <laughs> down-tuning or whatever <laughs> they're doing now. a reoccurring issue. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm used to it now, yeah, but yeah, I, I, when you go back and you no. hear... It's like, oh, yeah, you know, it reminds you of, of how much better it sounds. I think yeah. the performance was great. I think it shows. And I, hey, I would go on a cruise and they did a show without the makeup. I think it's time to take the makeup off and do a tour without the makeup again. 
That's a whole new can, can of worms. That'd be the only place you get that Bruce. now is the cruise. Bring Brett Bruce if you're going to. Well, Brett, it's funny because on on the cruise, well, it will uh, never happen. You know, people were begging. Uh, Doc did his Q and A. People kept asking him just to bring Bruce on, and I guess they considered it for a while. But I think they don't want to, you know, limit Tommy's. They don't want to tell Tommy to take a hike because I feel. For even for a song or two, because I feel like the fan reaction would just be too much. Just like the um, the Hall of Fame thing, I think they're worried about the exact same thing. The people going nuts, yeah. you know, and then they're gonna get nothing. Let's say they brought Bruce in for two songs, and uh, you know, the next two weeks would be nothing but people attacking their Twitter pages with "Bring Bruce back, Bring Bruce back," and I don't think they just don't want to deal with it and, at this point. And, and they should. But you know. one thing. Tommy Thayer is the guitarist yeah. in Kiss. Yeah. You know, that you know. End of topic. For those who do not like Tommy, who are not happy with him wearing Ace's makeup or Eric wearing, get over it. He's the guitarist in Kiss. He's doing the best damn job he can. And you know what? I think he's doing a really damn good job. And so, all those songs you you hear on the, the cruise, you know, the Oath and all that, all those deep cuts. Like that wasn't Gene and Paul's idea. That was Tommy, and maybe to a lesser degree Eric, but. Tommy was the one that keeps reminding him, you know, we should do this, we should do this, and well, eventually... I have to say one thing about Bruce. Bruce, on a solo tour, performing Kiss songs that he's been involved in. Imagine 15 songs with Bruce. What do you have? King of the Mountain? Awesome. Sword and Stone? Great. You have loads and loads of stuff. I don't know what he's doing playing with that old band, whatever they called, Grand Funk. Junkyard. Well, but you have to think of it this way, too. Could Paul sing all those songs now, though? Would he even yeah, want to you, attempt? I, I, mean, I, I mean, I don't want Bruce to sing them. Bring in a good singer, perform them, make a club tour. I think he would, it would rock. And he has loads of stuff. And Kiss, they ain't playing any of those songs. And the fans just want to hear them. As long as they don't do it, them on the, on the cruise, Bruce should make a club tour and get over the solo stuff that he's been doing, maybe include a few, maybe one or two union songs, but, I mean, play those 80s and early 90s Kiss songs on a club tour. It would be awesome. And I guess, why couldn't it work? Look at John Karabi right now, Motley Crue. He's out there doing the whole Motley Crue 94 album in, cl in small clubs, but he is doing an incredible job with that album that people did not get to respect or hear, and the buzz has been very positive about it. Again, uh, you can't really judge it by a YouTube video. He's killing it. So he's not exactly that much more visible than Bruce as a you know, rock star these days. They're both a bit niche, uh, you know, from you know, being has-beens from you know, a past era that's no longer as popular, so why couldn't he? Why doesn't he do something like Jakey e. Lee, that's you know, and his uh, Red Dragon Cartel, you know, or Black, or what is it, Back Country Communion, or whatever that Glenn Hughes project was? You know, why isn't he hooking up with some other guys, you know, George Lynch and Robert Sweet hooked up together, you know? Why isn't he getting himself out there and maybe doing something valid, getting a singer? who can do some of those deep cuts from Kiss and writing some new material. If John Regan and Todd can get together and do Four by Fate, why can't Bruce? You know, it would be it would be great and from a selfish perspective, it'd be wonderful to hear him in America because he, he's only done it for the Aussies. Oh, hearing some King of the Mountain, 
Mm-hmm. Oh, he did it there as well. So it's 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 only where who neglected. So yeah. you know, it'd be fantastic to hear that stuff. I'd love to go see him in a in a club playing Hell or High Water or When Your Walls Come Down. Whatever. You know, tears are falling. I don't really mind who the singer is as long as he can do a, a respectable job and maybe put his own interpretation on it. But bring back a radiation suit. And as long as. And as long as the singer for Tears of Falling does the little windshield too, because that's kind of important. Well, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how many tours Bruce has done since he got shot, but I don't know. That might have something to do with the reason, you know, he's in Grand Funk now. But was that a solo show of his that he was in? No, he was was just at a show. That's right. The memory's a little foggy on that one. Yeah, and and that was just by happenstance. You know, it wasn't Mm -hmm. wasn't a dime bag. You know, they weren't aiming for Bruce. He was just, I believe, happened to get that hit. Was a scary, that was know. a scary time because that wasn't too far after Mark St. John died. Yeah, 2007, Mark passed. That was a scary time, you know. That happened, and then Bruce got shot, and then, you know, you never know sometimes with all this stuff. You know, we take Ace and Peter for granted, but there'll be a time where they're not around anymore. And, uh, you know, it makes you wonder what, what Gene and Paul are going to say. You know, are they going to completely changed their tune back to they were great guys and this and that and the other all the things you wish they'd say now but uh when that time comes you know you wonder what the reaction is going to be from the others yeah you know for, for that sort of thing if they're as respectful to one another as they were on stage at the rock and roll hall of fame that's adequate they're the ones each of them individually who've got the emotional baggage of their relationships the fans, mm-hmm. they're not part of it. They're not part of Paul's relationship with Gene or Ace or Peter and vice versa between them. You know, And that really, I've always kind of felt, is none of our business because that, that's a very personal thing. To have been in a band with, with someone, to have built something and for it to have gone different directions for the people, you know, I, I just hope they, I think they will. They'll be respectful of each other and, you know, Hope they're, I hope they're around long enough for Peter to finish that rock and roll album. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Been hearing about that since, what, what he left the band, 2001, somewhere around there? Yeah, what about the Bruce Kulick book, then? Bruce Kulick, he's talking about writing a book for, like, five or six, seven years. I don't know what he's waiting for. I don't think Bruce would step on any toes, though. I don't no. think you really get a lot of... Lame. Maybe yeah. It would be lame. Yeah, unfortunately. Cause... I mean, I'm sure there'd be a couple good stories in there, but overall, he's not going to, you know, even if he saw things that, you know, he knows, he's not going to throw it out there in a book, because that'd be like Tommy putting a book out. He did some quite uh, interesting uh, stuff on the albums he he was involved in, you know, uh, on his website. He wrote a little... Uh, a little stuff about all the albums he, he were involved in, uh, he was involved in, and uh, also about the tours. Maybe he could dig a little bit deeper there and find, you know, positive, interesting material that he could present in a book. You don't have to write, you know, a tell-all book with a lot mm-hmm. of dirt in order for it to be a great read. So hopefully that will be what, what he's aiming at, and uh, I think it can be quite good. But if you're looking for dirt, you shouldn't be reading Bruce Kulick's book. Yeah, and, and Bruce has done some great features on his website writing about the songs 
Yeah, I'd love to see him do some more of that, maybe going into the tours. Uh, obviously, his early tours with George McRae and uh, Andrea True, and obviously Meatloaf, Blackjack, you know, the, Michael Bolton. I mean, come on, Bruce. Let's have some stories. I mean, at least get them up on your website. I don't know how many people are really going to want to read about Michael Bolton uh, in the Kiss Army, but, uh, you know, Blackjack was a pretty decent band for the time. You know, I, I just like to hear some road stories, you know, little vignettes of his life. If he doesn't want to publish a book or doesn't feel he's got the material or has other limitations, there's a lot he can tell us about. Um, and he certainly writes. You I'm know, sure in a he'll nice write way. one at some point. That, that's, you know, that's, it's, it's inevitable. You know, how many times did Paul say he wasn't going to write a book? So. Well, he, he wouldn't write a book until everyone else wrote there so that like he could he, have the uh, last Paul word. Had no interest in a, Paul had no Paul had no interest in doing a reality show. Paul had no interest in writing an autobiography. Just like Gene had no interest in getting married, you know. <laughs> Eventually, you know, everything that they say, the opposite is going to happen at some point. I, I, that's what the, in the Kiss world. That's just what I expect at this point, you know. Mm -hmm. Hey, we all change our minds, don't we? You know, I've I've pressed the self-destruct button on the FAQ message board and said never again. Don't and, do it. Uh, that's all right. We'll just head over to TTS. Oh, it is. I never That's long gone. Back. Yeah. Uh, but I, I think we should probably think about wrapping up so that we can keep this nice and tight. Alex, you know, thanks for joining late. Uh, I'm going to do a little feature here at the end. Um, for those of you who remember on the website, I used to do a demo of the week. It was kind of a hidden feature that I put up in MP3. And it was kind of hidden on the site, so a lot of people may not have known about it. But there was some good stuff up on there. Um, I'm going to play a little bit of a reel I sold at auction last year um, that people have asked about All for Nothing, the outtake from Ace's 1978 solo album. There's a really crappy um, sound quality rehearsal that circulates that you can barely hear kind of the structure of the song. You can hear where he's kind of going with the um, the chorus, I believe. But musically, you don't get an idea. Now, years ago, I bought this reel. Um, I never had it restored or professionally transferred. So this is just the rough transfer. But if you marry up the riff that you're about to hear um, with that really garbage-sounding demo, you can tell that they're the same thing. And there, there were a couple of takes of that on the reel and an instrumental of I'm in need of love. So here's 30 seconds of All for Nothing, and I hope you guys on the call can hear it. Got to keep that short. That does not generally circulate. But what you can tell from that is that it does not work with the rest of the album. You know, even as a bass, uh, you know, a bed track that doesn't have any lead work, doesn't have any vocals, isn't fully produced. Again, it's uh, just a demo from early on in the sessions. Completely different style to what Ace put on his album. But there you go. That's, it has uh, potential. that's a little bit. Thoughts on there that, guys? Pull it out and 40 years later and inspire him to, to work on it a little bit more. Hopefully, 
hopefully he'll put it out some in some uh, on some record. Uh, he was late lately. He talked about releasing his tracks from the elder sessions. You know, he, in Ace in the Hole, his own studio. Uh, he's supposed to have been recorded quite a few tracks in that studio, and he has been talking lately about releasing it, maybe releasing it, but you know, it's Ace. Maybe he could include this one as well, but you never know with Ace. It's kind of erratic. I think it's just exciting to hear something, um, especially the creative process of on the album, especially because it became such a, a big seller. And, um, you know, that's also another one of my favorite albums. I mean, it's a solid all the way through. I mean, it's one of the ones that's all nine tracks are on my iPhone. Um, I can't ever just take one track off or two tracks off. So um, if he ever does a box set or just a, a release of some unreleased tracks, I hope he throws it on there and include a little few liner notes about the track. All right, so let's think about final words. Um, you know, thank you everyone for joining us today. I hope uh, we haven't given you a headache. You know, as we wrap up here, just like to remind everyone that right now, it, hopefully showing it on screen without too much uh, reflection. Uh, JR and the boys, that's Moose, that's Mick, that's uh, also Rick Monroe. Finally, after many years of effort, challenge, um, have got their book out. And if you want to hear stories from the road, from the voice and in the words of those guys who are out on the road with Kiss in the early days, then Out on the Streets is pretty much your only hope. The guys had a great deal of challenge getting this book out. Um, so track it down, pick it up, and hope you enjoy it. You know, again, it's written in their voice. It's not written by a professional writer, making it uh, all sound purdy for you. So that's uh, a book that's currently out. Um, as we wrap up, just like to thank Nigel, Daniel, and Alex for, you know, getting together to bring the first episode of the Kiss FAQ podcast to everyone and hopefully we'll get to do this again guys final words yeah first of all thanks julian second of all you know it's great to be a part of one of these uh i've been a fan and been watching them for a long long time and hopefully this one brings something unique and different to the table and i look forward to hearing all the rest of the episodes i think this was a great first session uh hopefully people from all over the world will feel that they want to tell us their stories and maybe we can bring an international take on this whole kiss thing that we all love and not only the american view of it so my hope is that next episode we'll have one guy from brazil a girl from somewhere else and it will be fantastic thank you um again you know thank you it was a blast um looking forward to future episodes uh doing this and i love the international aspect of it Nothing against the other uh, great podcasts that are out there, um, but I like the diversity. Uh, being from Washington, D.C., I'm used to diversity, and having, you know, my classroom was full of kids from other countries, and so to do a podcast like this with regards to one of the greatest bands in the world, international is great. All right, you hear it, people. You know, if you're out there, you're Australian, New Zealand, Brazil, you're female, you know, um, drop us a line on the board 